football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. Week 11 NFL action. We're previewing all of it. We've got no interviews today, so it's just us. Yeah. So we know you're going to stick around for the entire time. Before we get into it, all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using the promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. And there's no better time. No better. Than today to get that PFF Edge annual subscription because you'll get the draft guide. You'll get every guide that we put out there and you get all the great stuff from PFF Edge. For a year, it's $40 of value for just 20 bucks, And you get the opportunity to turn that 20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the country in Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20, use the promo code PFF, and you receive your free PFF Edge annual 365 days of value subscription all right sam you're fired up today yeah bring it bring the energy on the podcast as we go game by game here all right starting with thursday night football the arizona cardinals at the seattle seahawks before we get into it though talk about talk about ireland rugby go no okay fine. not doing it all right we're gonna get you fired up at some point arizona at seattle this is a nice second week in a row really good division battle a few weeks back the cardinals gave the seahawks their first loss in overtime crazy finish larry fitzgerald played the hero because all he did was get the ball to the referee after every completion and uh these guys play some good games and russell wilson for the first time in his career with sub 55 pff grades in back to back weeks what do you think is going to happen or did happen in this game yeah and this this was like the start of the rot i know his grade was still really good in this game but this was the first game that russell wilson actually made a ton of mistakes which has been the theme for the last few weeks and it's become a bigger problem as he's made less big plays to offset those in the last two weeks in particular but this was the game that started confusing him and started causing him some problems and it's the first one of these teams now that he's going to face twice right so he actually gets a chance to fix whatever they were throwing at him the first time round. Also, obviously, they get a chance to, like, throw a whole new different set of things at him and see if they can still keep that train going. But I'm curious to see if, like, that that experience of having done this already, of having played this team once in the past this season, is does that get Russell Wilson more, you know, more acclimatized and more capable of playing MVP caliber, let Russ cook Russell Wilson, or is he logged in, lodged into this, you know, mistake-ridden play that he's got at the moment? Yeah, so I, I wrote about this a little bit this week in uh, in my QB review, and I think, you know, for years we've talked about Russ, Russ being, you know, for 13 out of 16 games, elite and outstanding. But there was always three games or four games or whatever it was where things were just off. And it seemed like he was past that, and he took that next step starting last year. He d- didn't really have that disastrous game but the last two weeks he has. So 
I tend to look at it through the same lens as we did a few years back where he just has a few of these. There's just a few of these games and just they just happen to be back-to-back -back weeks. It just happened to be against the Bills and then last week against the Rams. And by the way, again, we'll talk about the Rams in a minute. A really good Rams defense that's, yeah. you know, making life really challenging for opposing offenses. So I don't see this trend continuing. I expect Russ to bounce back. I think the the X's and O's nuances here, that ends, uh, overtime interception that he threw was a phantom zero blitz and they all dropped out and he threw the ball to Isaiah Simmons. That particular thing, Mina mentioned it last week, has been an issue for him. I mm. think there's some X's and O's stuff in this game that's going to be great to watch. So that's what I was going to say is that, yes, it is something that's been an issue in Russell Wilson's career. On the other hand, like teams are throwing specific schematic wrinkles at him at the moment that are causing him some problems um and messing around with pressure looks and those kinds of things again sort of um you know similar to what they're doing to uh to lamar jackson to tom brady like just causing these guys to pause a beat longer you know yeah. just just it's not that they can't diagnose what they're looking at it's just if you change it in front of them it takes them just a little bit longer, long enough to cause issues up front. And that's, I think, what we're seeing with Seattle. Arizona, we're capable of doing it once. Are they capable of doing it twice? Tyler Lockett is questionable but expected to play as of right now. We're recording on Thursday uh, morning. He went off a few weeks ago against the Cardinals. It's a good matchup for him against the big long corners of Patrick Peterson, Dre Kirkpatrick. DK Metcalf did very little other than track down Buda Baker on mm -hmm. that interception. That was what he was most known for in that game. With DK coming off of a game where he was pretty much shut down by the Rams and Jalen Ramsey, are we expecting, and Lockett banged up, are we expecting a little force feeding of DK and getting him back involved? I'm curious to see how much of that happens. Like how much do they put Patrick Peterson on DK? Um, because, you know, we've had this run of DK Metcalf beating up on these cornerbacks that are just not capable of physically matching up with him, right? Then he plays Patrick Peterson and um, Jalen Ramsey who are, both big strong fast cornerbacks that can deal with that just sheer physical intensity and strength that he brings and it's not gone well for him do the cardinals basically track him do they stick him one-on-one -on -one all game long on dk and say this is our best matchup actually or because you know early in the game remember it was tyler lockett getting um patrick peterson for that first big reception down the side. Patrick, like Patrick Peterson on Lockett is not a good matchup for no, Peterson. not at all. He struggles with those smaller, shiftier, quicker uh, receivers. But against a guy like DK, weird, you know, because DK is just a physical monster. Like Peterson actually matches up pretty well. So real quick on the other side, Jamal Adams is, he did not play in the first matchup against the Seahawks. He is, you know, we mentioned it on the other, you know, on the review show, they're building their offense or defense around Jamal Adams. For better or for worse, he's blitzing like crazy. They're sending five like crazy. Um, other than rushing the passer, he Jamal Adams has not been great. So keep an eye on the Seattle defense. Kyler Murray running like crazy. Um, people talking MVP in part because of a Hail Mary last week. But um, it's going to be an awesome one. Both teams are 6-3, and three, tied with the Rams for first in the NFC West. Jamal Adams leads the Seahawks in total pressures, which would be absurd even if it was just the fact that he's a safety. <laughs> he's a safety that's missed a bunch of time. Right. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. There's there's some issues on the Seattle defense. So, um, do you have a prediction before this game that some people have already seen? Uh, Seattle favorites. I Let's say Russ bounces back. Seahawks I expect win. him to as well. I think, it's a, it's a, I think it's a shootout. I think Arizona's offense might have a ton of success against the Seattle defense. But I'll, I'll still lean Seattle to win. Should be a good one, though, for a Thursday night matchup.
Let's get into the weekend's games. There are some really good ones. Uh, some of the games of the week. Let's start with Sunday night football. Kansas City Chiefs at the Las Vegas Raiders. The Chiefs are favored by seven and a half. Mm-hmm. So it's so Vegas is disrespecting Vegas, right? Yes. It's not just us. Well done. Okay, we're not just we're not the only ones disrespecting Derek Carr and the Raiders. Yeah, Vegas is disrespecting their hometown team. They're at home, seven and a half point underdogs, and they beat the Chiefs already. Mm. Therefore, they're going to. It's interesting actually looking at the lines this week. There's a few teams that Vegas, the uh, bookmakers, as opposed to the team. Yeah, the Raiders aren't setting the lines, No, right? there's okay. a few teams that the bookmakers in Vegas are clearly, you know, they have, a sta- they have a stance on that differs from the sort of general perception. And I think this is one of them. Um, you know, the Colts are favored against Green Bay. Like, they're not buying into the, the Green Bay thing. I don't think they're buying into Pittsburgh either, which is interesting given how much crap we've taken for saying that the Steelers aren't the best team in the NFL. Vegas doesn't really think they are either. I mean, they're still favored by a lot. They're favored by 10, but last week Green Bay were favored by 13, right. heading into the same game, essentially. Um, so, I mean, it's it's intriguing. But, yeah, look, I the most interesting thing about this game is the Raiders, basically the entire team has is in the COVID protocols at the moment. They don't have COVID. They've been close contacts, which means they weren't wearing masks again, which, you know, they've already been fined quite a lot. And so for the hands of that, it feels like that's a lesson that should be brought on board at some point. But, but that's the entire Nevertheless, defense. basically the entire defense is shut down for the week. But if they pass the COVID test and in the game, they'll play. It's just the Big Ben's thing of they won't have practiced all week and they'll have to roll in there like off a week of not practicing and all that kind of stuff, which against the Kansas City Chiefs coming off a bye doesn't feel like ideal preparation. Yeah, you would like to practice, I think. Um, You think? It's an interesting matchup because the last time, yes, the Raiders won, and the two things that happened was I think this was the game coming out out of it. I looked at Patrick Mahomes' performance, and I said that was very Texas Tech again. Yes. He only had – he had his one interception of the season. That was the one. It was against the Raiders. Um, definitely threw about three or four that could have, would have, should have been picked off. So decision-making was all over the place. He had over 20 passes outside the pocket, outside of structure. That was the highest we've seen in three years. He just looked uncomfortable. And that's something that doesn't normally happen to Mahomes. The last time I've seen him look that uncomfortable was the Super Bowl, where he looked uncomfortable for three and a half quarters, and then it it clicked. And we're talking about a Raiders defense that has one of the, I mean, before they ran into Drew Locke, one of the, the worst coverage grades. Right. They're not good. By our standards. But they, I think, are, they're doing what, the opposite of what the Colts did for a while, which is, look, our talent isn't great. So the Colts' answer to that was to basically run the same thing every play, right? And it's like the answer to not being great is to basically run one thing and just make sure we're executing well, right? The Raiders' answer is to go, okay, we're not great, so let's throw everything at you and hope that it's enough to offset. Like, your confusion at what we're throwing at you is enough to offset the fact that we aren't very good. Um, and you saw that, like, you know, the, the Denver was the perfect team for that to happen against, right? Because Drew Locke is young, inexperienced, and doesn't really know what he's looking at most of the time. So when you throw all this crap at him, he's like, oh, uh, run, like, Red zone just implodes, right? Yeah. Doesn't know, like, it just seizes up. So it's a perfect example because you watch Jerry Judy's tape and you see him just wide open all day long against the entire Raiders secondary, but the ball never gets to him because everything that they're throwing at them is confusing Drew Locke to the point where he never finds the wide open Jerry Judy. I just have a hard time. I have a hard time seeing that work against Kansas City and the Chiefs, but it already did. 
You know what I mean? Like, if if you if I hadn't seen that game, I would say there's no way that works because that's basically a, a, an a, it's a worse version of what the uh, the Ravens do, and the Ravens might have well have given Patrick Mahomes like the answers yeah, to what they were running, right? Crushed them. Yeah. Whereas it did work when the Raiders faced him the first time. It did, and so that matchup's going to be interesting. I think the I don't know. I think the Chiefs' offense just still has so much more to offer. Yeah. And I think that would be the scary thing for the rest of the league as we get to the second half of the season because the Chiefs do have some some big games coming up. They're going to play the Bucs and the Saints, and they're going to play um, – do they play Buffalo too? But the, the Raiders this week. But they have some big games. So they're not, you know, rolling through the Jets and some of these lesser teams that they've played. They've yep. got some big ones. So are <laughs> they going to open it up? And it's going to be more Mahomesian. Already, already played Buffalo, remember? Bad weather. They already played Buffalo. That's right. Sorry. Um I'm looking at Derek Carr's passing chart from the first game, premium stats, 2.0. And it, we, we came out of that game saying, that was it. Great job. Raiders, Derek Carr, you threw the ball down the field, 219 yards on deep passes, those 20-plus yard passes. I'm, let's talk about Derek Carr's deep ball for a minute because that got us into trouble, right? The likening him to coming you, to America. You. Us. We're, we're a team, Steve. Um, Not when you screw up. No, that's exactly how it works. So the... The, like the coming to America thing was, you know, a bit, but the point was, I think Derek Carr uses the deep ball as more of a, uh, a tactical gambit every now and again in the course of a game, rather than a, you know, an honest attempt to play what a defense is showing him. Um, it's like every now and again, I just need to bank the defense off, right, and take a deep shot. And if it's there, it's there, great. Um, if it's there and you hit it, you immediately back the defense off. If it's not there and you take the shot, it's at least the threat that you back the defense off and that in and of itself makes <clears throat> makes them back off so it kind of works but i think we've started to see him take a few more of those chances organically in the course of games but what's really interesting is it feels like he's taking way more deep shots than he ever has before right when you look at the numbers he really isn't his percentage of deep attempts is ticked up slightly over the past couple of years but we're talking nine percent up to ten percent right of his attempts what's really interesting is when you then look okay um you pull up the grading the pff grading on the last few years of those attempts and this is what i think is a great example of how pff what we do in attempting to grade the actual throw the play the quarterback makes and try right. and extrapolate it try and separate it out from the receivers from the pass blocking from all the other elements it's really hard to do and there's no way of doing it cleanly but I think this is great evidence that we do a reasonable job of it, that Carr's grade on those deep attempts in the last two years is basically the same, right? It's, it's like 92, I think, in 2019. It's 92 in 2020. Um, so the, the grades are almost identical, but the results of those plays are dramatically different. He's averaging like six yards per attempt more this year than he did a season ago because suddenly you've got Henry Ruggs Outside of last week, you had Nelson Aguilar, who'd become a pretty good deep threat as well. You've got, you know, Hunter Renfro making a couple of really good snags on deep attempts that he's made. So we've essentially, like, Carr's problem was never that he was bad at completing these, or bad at the deep ball. It was that, A, he never really attempted them that often, and B, the offense as a whole just wasn't good at completing those plays. This season they have been, and that difference, the threat, of that deep a deep pass transforms how a defense defends the Raiders and makes his life easier on the other stuff, which is why his numbers are so absurdly good because he's having an easier time of the shorter intermediate passes where he wants to live anyway. It's a good explanation of stuff there. Thank you. With Carr. 
I'm looking through the numbers, and I think this is really fascinating because the Chiefs, remember a couple years ago when 2018, Mahomes wins the MVP and the Chiefs couldn't stop anybody. Yes. And they were, they allowed the most completions beyond the sticks than any defense in the league. Wasn't even close. When Spags took over, Steve Spagnuolo. Never going to stop being funny. Defensive coordinator. They've done a great job. Personnel hasn't changed a whole lot. They play a little bit more zone than they did previously, mm. a lot more zone than they did previously, but they do a great job. Just picture Tyron Matthew patrolling the middle of the field like he does so well. And they just, they have taken away the intermediate part of the field. By our definition, that's the 10 to 19 yard range. They have given up 19 completions at that range. And that's where opposing, that's where quarterbacks make their money, right? And quarterbacks come out of games completing eight, nine, 10 passes at that range. The Chiefs have given up 19. And Carr had one in the last matchup, but he did have the 219 yards on the on the deep stuff. That's almost half of the deep yardage that the Chiefs have given up this year. Almost half of it just on deep passes. So the Chiefs in general, it's I think it's easy to look at that game and say that's an anomaly for the Chiefs defense. That is not how they play. They got smoked in that one game. They should play better, and the Raiders could really be in trouble. But all that said you still have to stay aggressive. I think the way to beat the Chiefs is to go for the go for the 200 on the deep balls again yeah. because you it's going to be really tough to stop Mahomes again. I think all of the stuff that went right for the Raiders in the first matchup, it's going to be really tough to duplicate it again in the second one. Yeah, um the Chiefs defense I think has done the same it's done what the Raiders defense is trying to do, right? Which is our talent wasn't great, but the easiest way of helping it out is to confuse an offense and just show them more than one thing. When they were running like man coverage all the time, the personnel wasn't any worse necessarily, but they were too obvious and too telegraphed in what they were playing. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see if the Raiders can make Mahomes as uncomfortable as he was the first time around. Because that's like the only way of slowing him down, right? If he's comfortable, yeah. game over, forget about it. He's just gonna carve you up. It might take a little bit of time, but it's happening. If you can at least cause him to feel uncomfortable in the pocket, bad things still happen to Mahomes. Like that's that's the takeaway from that previous game. Texas Tech Mahomes is still there. Like you can the same way that like the, the negatives in Baker Mayfield's Oklahoma tape, they were really small, but you can find that guy and you can magnify it by what you do in, uh, in the NFL on defense. The same thing is true with Mahomes. It's just a it's a dramatically different you know scenario, obviously, but. The negative Mahomes, the negative Texas Tech Mahomes still exists. And the Raiders were able to bring that guy to the surface for at least a game. I think Mahomes is just under a 90 PFF grade. I think we're about to see him Explode. unload in the second half of the season here. So I'm, I'm expecting the Chiefs unloading on the Raiders in this one. Seven and a half, I think they cover it. COVID aside, I think the Chiefs make a statement here on Sunday Night Football. And I've never been wrong when I talk about statement games on Sunday Night Football. Never. Yeah. Bucks okay. Saints two weeks ago. <laughs> um, yeah. I tend to agree. I know that leaves both of us disrespecting the Raiders again, but it just feels... No, Vegas started it. Okay. Vegas disrespected it, Vegas. It feels very hard to imagine that happening to Mahomes twice by the same team in the same season, particularly when they're coming off a bye, having had a chance to study it for like a whole week. By the way, in PFF terms, Mahomes had, in that game, the highest grade for a quarterback with four <laughs> turnover-worthy plays in a game. So everything else was good. There was four pretty bad plays in there for Mahomes, and there was so many out-of-structure plays. 
but he had the highest grade we've ever given a quarterback with four turnover worthy right. plays. So he still played pretty well overall. Reed still has some absurd record coming out of a bye as well, right? Like he's all time great. Oh, numbers. yeah, look at you dropping bye stuff in there. I mean, I don't have the data, so it's like a fairly pointless nugget to be throwing at you. Good work. I'm pretty sure he has like one of the best records of all time yeah. coming out of a bye. Taking the Chiefs? Yeah. All right, let's go to Monday Night Football. This is another awesome game. Los Angeles Rams at the Tampa Bay Bucks. And I want to throw another number at you. Okay. Because we keep talking about the Rams, and generically, they make life difficult. They're playing too high shells. They're doing some unique stuff on defense. They're allowing a completion percentage of just 16.7% on 20-plus yard passes. That is by far the best in the league. And if you look at the Bucks' offense, which just put up 46 points or whatever last week, the Bucks and Tom Brady, Brady was throwing the deep ball great through about eight weeks. He's only got one completion of 20-plus yards over the last two weeks. It was kind of bound to regress. They still found a way to move the ball last week, but I just think this matchup is incredible because the Rams' defense has been awesome. Mm -hmm. And my takeaway from the Bucs last week, Brady played okay, but he could have thrown for 500 yards because there was deep stuff open and there was you've, all of their playmakers were there and doing their thing. From Mike Evans to Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Gronk, it's going to be... An incredible matchup on Monday Night Football. Bucks offense versus Rams D. Yeah, um, I this is Ali Marpet needs to play in this game, otherwise Tampa Bay don't win. The end. Um, the last two weeks we've seen what happens without Marpet. It's not. It's just not about, to like get a hand on Aaron Donald every now and yeah, again. Yeah, it's not about how good he is, right? Ali Marpet is one of the best guards in the NFL this season. It's about how bad the situation is when he's not there, right? Because the offensive line is about the weakest link in the chain, not the strongest. Um, and when you take him out of it, the offensive line breaks effectively. The chain snaps in half. And it was a disaster when Joe Haig was the guard. They then reshuffled, um, brought in uh, A.Q. Shipley and, and moved Jensen to guard. And it was better than Joe Haig, but still bad, right? Yeah. And they didn't have to play Aaron Donald when that was happening. Now they have to play Aaron Donald. If Marpet is not playing, like Donald is just coming through that line every single play, and Tom Brady is going to have no prayer in the world. If Marpet plays, they've got a shot. They can stop or at least slow down Aaron Donald and give Tom Brady a platform to work from. I, like Usually, I know the, the data says those individual linemen just don't move the needle in terms of spreads, in terms of like percentage of winning games, but I think this is... Every now and again, the matchup is so bad that I think it does, and this is one of those cases. Well, yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's Donald or somebody that can get pressure... And it's interior pressure. You know, we, we did a study a few years back on where the pressure affects quarterbacks most. And I thought it was awesome that it came out kind of intuitive. This was years ago, but it was Brady and Peyton. And Brady, when the pressure came up the middle, was far worse. Um, and Peyton was worse when the pressure came off the edge. And it's like when you actually think about how they like to move in the pocket, Peyton was a, was a slider. He loved to slide in the pocket. If you stunted, he would feel it and, you know, replace you and just knew how to maneuver the pocket laterally. Brady likes to step up, right? He's a, he, he moves up, you know, vertically through the pocket. So when you do have any sort of pressure in his face, um, it is a little bit more detrimental to him. So having the, it, it, I think this is, this was true about Breeze for years too, because of his height and all that stuff. You want to have that wall, the center guard guard wall in front Look at what? you. You just can't, can't escape the heightest. You and your six foot whatever. It's just the truth. You're just hating on the little I mean, Brady people. and Peyton are six, four, and five, and I'm talking about them. Poor Drew. 
We'll talk about him a little bit later on. Anti-Drew Brees, anti-Russell Wilson, anti-Kyla Murray's MVP candidacy. You're just heightus is what like you Baker. are. I like Baker. Do you? Oh, wait. I'm, I'm off that bandwagon, too. Mm-hmm. You know who I like? Dan McGuire. Six foot eight. Guy got after it. You know, I got I to gotta call <laughs> out the good morning football guys. I, they, they were celebrating their thousandth show. I congratulated them. And mm-hmm. I said, hey, who's been your tallest guest? And Peter Schrager comes back and he says, Dan McGuire. And I had to go to pro football reference and pro baseball reference. Yeah. And I looked up the heights and he's six foot eight and I'm six ten. Well, now I have been a guest on Good Morning Football. You're listed at six ten. Maybe they maybe they have if Peter's more gonna be official, that's what you, no, that's what you, you use the list list height. The list height. I'm six ten, little Dan McGuire's six eight. Anyway, let's get to this game here. Brady in the passing attack against this Rams defense. Jalen Ramsey, uh, Darius Williams, one of our highest graded corners, making plays left and right. Dude, Darius Williams, if you include his college tape, basically doesn't have any bad tape yet. Yeah, UAB. His great, yeah, so his great, at UAB, <clears throat> his great in stats at UAB and what we've seen from him so far in the NFL in varying degrees of playing time, it's all been good. <laughs> there's no, there is no bad, ev- there's no evidence of Darius Williams being anything other than amazing in his football career that we've analyzed, which is kind of impressive for a cornerback, you know, the position that is massively volatile and always swings back. Like the greatest players ever, Rivas had average seasons. Darius Williams hasn't had one yet. Now it's only three years, so, you know, but the guy has yet to put bad tape on display. Or is it just the guy opposite Jalen Ramsey? I don't think it's the guy. It's not that the guy opposite Jalen Ramsey becomes good because we've seen evidence of that not being the case in Jacksonville, right? But it is true to say... AJ Boye had a career year opposite Jalen Yeah, yeah but that's Ramsey. not what I'm saying. It, my point is that it's not that anybody opposite him is good immediately, true. but it's him doing what he does enables an opportunity for a guy who's already pretty good to look really good. So if you have a pretty good corner in A.J. Boye or a pretty good corner in Darius Williams or uh, Troy Hill, but who have limitations, suddenly you, you remove the limitations from the equation because Jalen Ramsey is taking the guy that exposes the limitations, and now you just get a chance to look good. So I think that's what it does. It gives an opportunity for guys that are already good to look really good, but it doesn't make like a crappy corner good because he's still crappy. So I'm looking at this matchup. Makes sense. I'm looking at this matchup. The Bucks love to throw the ball down the field. They do. And for the entire season, we've been saying, is it Bruce Arians' offense? How much is Tom Brady? And I think you've made a pretty good point. Brady is, quote-unquote, checking down more than he has in previous years because that's the nature of the offense. You look deep to short, and then you have a check down. Whereas with the Patriots, he didn't check down as much. He just had shorter passing concepts. This would be a game. If you put a Patriots team up against a Rams-style defense that just doesn't allow deep play you know passes beyond 20 and all that stuff you'd say okay that plays in the Patriots hands they're gonna they're gonna move it around up to 20 yards they're gonna you know find the open man in your zone and just take the 10 play drive and go this would be a game if Brady was in the New England system it feels like a good matchup in the Bucks system will they adjust will they take the underneath stuff is this going to be a high Chris Godwin Antonio Brown work the underneath stuff type of game or do the Bucs still say, no, we need the explosives. We need those big plays, and we're going to force it and force it and force it. And then the problem with that is if it's not there, then you're, then you're feeding Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones, who are both do like two drops per game and do very little after the catch. If this is a game where Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones are combining for like 13 catches or something like that, they're in trouble. If they adjust their offense and it's like, hey, Chris Godwin, you're going to be lined up on linebackers. 
Brown, Antonio Brown, you're going to be on linebackers and safeties underneath. Pepper those guys with targets. I think the Bucks have a better shot doing that. The Bucks this season feel like they're being given an opportunity to accelerate like a um, a sort of team building exercise that usually takes a few years into one season because of the teams that they're facing, right? So there, there's immediately there was going to be this mashup between the Tom Brady experience of 20 years in New England and Bruce Arians and the relatively unique offense that he likes to run. That was always going to take some time to figure out where the meeting point between those two things was. And it's being shown it's sort of sequentially along the line where the problems are, right? So you the, the Saints immediately expose like multiple problems, right? Now you get a chance to fix those. The Rams, I think, are going to expose the same kind of problem on one side of the ball, but basically immediately highlight an area that needs to be fixed, right? Now, do they learn from that? Do they take that as the lesson it should be? And like, okay, we fix this here. We fix this here. By the time we hit the playoffs, we're like a complete well-rounded team that doesn't have these flaws anymore. And we beat all the best teams in the NFL. We win the ring. Everybody gets to retire, go home happy. Or do they like just not learn the lesson? And like, these are the, these are the steps along the road that derailed this Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl train. Because those are basically your options. They, they didn't yet learn from the Saints thing. Haven't seen evidence that they've learned the lesson from that yet. I think they've started to develop more of those intermediate plays, but it's not done. This will be another test. Like, it's an opportunity for them to become a Super Bowl team. On the other hand, it's also a hurdle that could trip them up and leave them, like, dead in the middle of the race. Yeah, I think, I think the Bucks' offense ends up somewhere in between the last two weeks where it was a train wreck on Sunday night against the Saints. And last week, scored 46, easily probably could have been 60 with the way all those playmakers were, were getting open all over the place. So... Um, other side of the ball, Jared Goff played a much cleaner game last week. The Rams, I, I think they just ha they've had to protect him this year. When he's been protected, Goff, he's he's taken care of the ball, hasn't missed a ton of throws, and I'm talking protected by play action and the screen game. The screen, I mean, you're going up against Seattle last week. There were holes all over that defense. It's windows going to be a little bit tighter this week. A lot of this is going to depend on how the Rams are able to move the ball against Bulls defense, and uh, you know Jared Goff taking care of the football better than he did the previous few weeks uh, before the Seattle game. Nice game for the Rams to get started with the post-Whitworth life. You know, uh, yeah, good luck. Right. Yeah, the Bucks and the Bucks are so speedy laterally. They're the team you like to run downhill. If you're going to run, you're going to run downhill versus the outside zone, the, the lateral, you know, Devin White, Levante David using their speed. So I don't think it's a great matchup for the Rams offense either. I think we might see you know, like a 20 to 17 type defensive of game. battle, a defensive battle on Monday night football. We'll see. Oh, I'm people a, are going to hate. I that. can't, I, the Bucks offense versus the Rams defense though, I think is going to be must see TV. Where are you leaning in this one? Uh, Bucks are favored by four, by the way, at home. I like so take the cross country travel. That's yeah, a huge yeah. I, uh, I like the Rams to cover that, but I think the Bucks sneak out a win. Okay. I'll take the Bucks to win and cover. I don't love the matchup on paper, but I think they I think they find a way. But I think I think they cover more because the Rams of the Rams offense, yeah, not being able to do much against the Bucks. I team. just I mean I again because we haven't seen the Bucks really having learned the lesson from that Saints game games. I think they're going to struggle again. Particularly, like, I honestly I think Marpet is huge. Like that changes the outcome for me. If Marpet doesn't play, I think the Rams win outright. Really? Yeah. Out. It's all about Ali Mar. Mar Marpet's the only guy on the 
injury report here as of Thursday. Yeah. Or as of Wednesday. For and he's the, questionable, for but it was a concussion, right? And he's already been out a week. Like, I mean, I mean yeah. he should play, right? The other, well, there's two other potential games of the week, but this one's great. Tennessee Titans at the Baltimore Ravens. And it's another example, just like the Kansas City Vegas line, right? It's easy for fans to say, well, the Raiders already beat the Chiefs. How could it be a seven and a half point spread? The last time we saw Tennessee and Baltimore, Tennessee had their statement game. Divisional round last year, the Titans run away from the number one seed Ravens. But here in 2020, the Ravens coming off a loss, both teams coming off a loss, but the Ravens are favored by six at home this time around. So Vegas is not buying into this. These teams are equal. They're essentially saying Ravens are better by three or four points, depending on how much you're weighing home field here in 2020. I mean, honestly, even if you ran back that divisional game the next week, I think the line would favor Baltimore. Like the freaky things happen in that game. The Titans got ahead and then that put well, the Ravens into that thing of they can't play from behind. And the freakiest they, thing that happened was Derrick Henry owning Earl Thomas with a stiff arm for a 60-yard run. That was the freakiest using thing. Using him as his lead the blocker. Freak. Yes. Yeah. That was um, the freak. It was. Freaky. But like, you know, that game put Baltimore in a hole early that changed the entire outcome of what was going to happen, right? And the, the Ravens are susceptible to that in a way a lot of teams are not, which is, it's definitely a thing, but if you, if you reset, you know, right? All right do over let's rewind let's reset history let's start over you got to assume that most of the time that doesn't happen at which point most of the time the ravens win i think a big part of this spread i'm looking at pff pass blocking grades psv2 all part of pff elite you sort by pass block grade you go look at the bottom eight of the bottom eight teams in pass blocking grade the only team with the winning record is the tennessee titans hmm. they have the fourth worst pass blocking grade and i think a big part of this is taylor luan getting injured and just the the tackle situation with the titans I, I mean across the board it just hasn't been great from a from a pass block situation uh pass blocking standpoint the last two weeks however against the bears and the colts pass blocking grades in the 30s as a team and when we talk about last year ryan Tannehill and having this career year and all that stuff and why regression was inevitable Part of it is just because the situation last year was so good. They ran play action a lot. The play action results were incredible. Tannehill had guys to throw to. They schemed it up well. A lot of things happened. But Tannehill's never been the guy that's going to overcome a you know poor situation. And if the poor situation is up front and your O-line is not crept back toward average and it's on the, in the bottom of the barrel, it's really tough for a Ryan Tannehill caliber quarterback to overcome that. And that's what we've seen in the last few weeks here. Did you read young Michael Renner's article about Lamar Jackson being figured out? Yeah. On pff.com. Yeah, that was really good. It was, really good and it's an interesting piece, and it sort of essentially outlines, you know, what teams have started to do schematically to cause this Baltimore Ravens offense problems, in addition to the problems that they're manufacturing for themselves in terms of, you know, personnel being missing on the offensive line, in terms of um, Lamar not playing as well as he's played in the past, and in terms of becoming predictable enough, the teams are calling out what they're doing. You know what I mean? So what it suggests essentially is teams have reverted back to that old Chargers. You know, the very first time Lamar got found out in Those, inverted commas. 2018, the right. wild card round, yes. the Chargers beat the Ravens. And the Chargers rolled out there basically without any linebackers on the field. Just deployed a whole shitload of safeties and said, we're going to match up with speed. It's a college defense. Yeah. yeah. We're going to match up with your speed with speed and we're going to take away all the things you do. And that it confused them. They were, they just, they hadn't accounted for the idea that you might be able to get to the edge in the same way that they can with your speed. 
and suddenly we got to actually make guys miss in the open field and it wasn't as effective. And then they developed counters of that and they were able to have a much more effective power game. But teams have, because of the, all those other things, teams have started to go back towards that. The Titans are an interesting defense for that to happen to, or for to take that lesson and try and uh, attack it because they've got some pretty good speed on that defense. They also just upgraded at nickel with Desmond King coming in. Like that gives them more of an incentive to play nickel. They average, they're in you know the middle of the pack in terms of percentage of base defense being used so far this season. Again, kind of a little bit below average in terms of nickel, but they now have a personnel to sort of go that way and try and attack Lamar Jackson. Yeah, it's it's a great point, and I think the just the cat and mouse game between Ravens offense every single week now and what defenses are doing. We talked about this coming in. You compared it to Sean McVay, yeah, in the past, where it's like, okay, you have this offense. It has been good. It's been good against certain looks. You have to adjust to the other looks, right? But they're almost being forced to change now because of injuries. Like they, you know, they shipped off one of the tight ends, Hayden Hurst, before the season, yeah. which kind of changed. Like they ran a lot of three tight end formations last year, which is super rare in the NFL. Baltimore did it quite a lot. Obviously, decided themselves they were going to change that by moving out um, one of the tight ends. Now you've got another one injured. Like you, you, I mean, you have to pivot, right? You have to actually yeah. change the personnel structures that you're playing with on offense, which changes what you're going to be running. And, and the, the, the value of having those three tight ends last year, and sometimes they're moving into the backfield, or you've got three tight ends plus a fullback plus a Lamar, and then you have a little bit of motion off of it, you're just going to find you're gonna find an extra gap. The run game is about math, right? There's eight gaps, eight gaps to defend and you have eight defenders to defend it, whatever it might be, right? Whatever the numbers are, the defense has to match up. And the Ravens did a great job of making sure that you either didn't match up or we're just going to run power football and we have a Nick Boyle, who is a great run blocker, plus our great offensive line, plus Lamar making you wrong. All that adds up to like, all right, they're tough to stop from on the ground. But going back to Renner for a minute, because he followed up on social media, PFF underscore Mike, and he said, well, what would I do? And I agree with what he said, which was, okay, if you don't have all those tight ends, let's spread. Let's spread to run. Instead of condensing the formation like the Ravens have done so much. Do you, let, think, he's, do you think Lamar is accurate enough to do that, though? Well, no, because you're, you're spreading to run as well. And it's, yeah. But it's, it's the same concepts. You're running the same concepts just from, you know, spread formations rather than condensed, you know, two and three tight end with his, fullback formations. His suggestion was that they're not good enough to win the way they want to win right now. So you need chunk plays, which means pivoting to speedsters and trying to get big pass plays. Yeah, but it's not, I don't think it's a massive change in like run pass splits or run concepts or anything. It's just, all right, Devin Duvernay is that, you know, slot, you know, put him in space type of guy. Marquise Brown is still the, you know, take the shots down the field type of guy. Um, Willie Sneed might see a few more targets for you. There you go, your buddy. Um, but it's honestly, it's the same offense. You're just, you're spreading. And all you're doing is taking an eight and nine man box and making it a six and seven man box. And you're still playing math. You're still playing math. You're still playing with a spreadsheet on the, on, on, is, is seven more than six? Yes. Okay. Pass. Right. I mean, that's all it is. So I think spread to run, spread to pass can work for the Ravens, but they just have to, to pivot a little bit. But I also think when we get into all the offseason fun, we're going to be sitting here in the offseason saying, you know what would make Lamar's life easier now? Is more guys to throw to. Is more playmakers. They're in a real tough spot, the Ravens, now, because a lot of things need to change for multiple different reasons on this offense, and I don't know if they're capable of it. Well, 
you predicted before the season that the Ravens' defense was going to be 2,000 Ravens-ish. Yeah. I'm not trying. I'm not calling you out on it. I'm, all I'm saying is you predicted them to be really good. Yeah. They've given up. I know t- some teams have had buys. Some teams haven't. Whatever. They've given up the fewest points in the league overall, the Ravens, as a team. I know it's, it's a team stat, but it's mostly defense, right? So they, ha- they are good. Is this defense good enough to carry an offense that is not bad, but is certainly not as dominant as it was in previous years? Yeah. Okay. That's the it. End. Yes. Good stuff. Are they laughing at us in there? Probably, yeah. Hmm. Who do you like in this game? Uh, God, I, I think the Ravens are a better team, so I think they probably win. But favored by six feels optimistic given the struggles we've seen from them. So Baltimore to win, Tennessee to cover. I, I think – I'm not going to call upsets again when I, I look stupid. <laughs> as long as we don't tweet this out and 100,000 people see it. The Bengals are going to beat the Steelers at right. Tennessee's going to win this game. Okay. Right. Tennessee's going to win this game. Yeah. In cover. How about that? I like the Titans. Tannehill magic. It's coming back. A.J. Brown's not going to drop the deep ball like he did last week and screw all the fantasy owners over. Green Bay Packers at the Indianapolis Colts. You mentioned this earlier. The Colts are favored by a one and a half. Yeah. The uh, the odds makers are buying into the Colts defense here. The defense has been pretty good, right? Which has maintained a pretty high level of play despite playing better teams. Like early in the season, the numbers were absurd. They were off the charts. They were like best defense in the NFL by a mile because they'd face some pretty bad defenses. The question was, well, what happens when they actually face some better defenses? Are they still able to look good, or was this just a complete figment of everyone's imagination or a product of facing bad teams? They're still pretty legit. Like they're they're good up front if, if i was make if i was setting lines for this game i feel like philip rivers playing in indianapolis versus playing in green bay is worth like seven points <laughs> right if this game's in green bay i'm like packers by a touchdown because i don't trust green bay if the if the wind's above seven miles an hour what's he gonna do right in green <laughs> bay if, if there's a if there's a snowflake falling from the sky rivers is done but in the dome he could sling it a little bit he'll be okay is that unfair I'm, I'm being a little facetious. But, yeah, it's probably uh, accurate. I mean, Green Bay's defense is still a massive question mark. I also think there's an element to their offense where Rodgers is playing at such a high level that is six years from, removed from him playing at this high level. Yeah. Especially if you take out that Bucks game. You can't take it out, but it's like he's really just had one bad game. Yeah. And everything else has been either outstanding or at least good. Last week, he was, he was good. He was fine. Um can he even keep up that level of play? It really is so far outside of his recent baseline of play. Aaron Rodgers here. Our highest graded quarterback above 93. Haven't seen this level of play from him since a stretch of 2016. But for a season, it hasn't been since 2014. Is that just an inevitable regression? Um, or is it also an inevitable regression with Devontae Adams as well? Uh, no. I mean, Adams, maybe not. I mean, he's just yeah. playing outstanding right no now. No with Adams. Like, Adams has been the best route runner in the NFL for a couple of years now, or at least one of them. Um, like, this season, he's added everything else, or was already adding everything else, and now it's it's all together, right? He's the complete receiver. There, why would it disappear, right? There's no yeah. flaw to his game. As long as the ball keeps going in his direction, and I don't see that slowing down, he's going to be dominant. Um, as for Rodgers, even if you go back, like that 2014 season, he ended up with a PFF grade of 93.4, including the playoffs. Even that season featured a couple of bum games, right? 
Week 15 against Buffalo was a grade of 56.8. Week 12 against the Vikings, overall grade was okay, but the passing grade was 60.8. Those are sort of orange grades of a little bit below average. Everything else is pretty absurd. But like my point is, even in crazy, insane, amazing, best kind of seasons we've ever seen, caliber years, you get the odd stinker. Now, the game he had against Tampa Bay was worse than either of those, but everything else has been of that level or better. So maybe, I mean, I don't see why he can't continue this. Like, what is what is the thing that would prevent Rodgers maintaining this level? Like, why would he just come back down to earth randomly? I, I, I still come down to the supporting cast just a little bit. Well, yeah, and that's Alan Lazard comes back in theory. Like, yeah. he was a limited practice on Wednesday. He's been outstanding when he's been on the field. And, and he and changes, Rogers... yeah, he, not only is he been good, but I think he changes everything, right? He's the guy, he's the other guy that Rodgers can trust, which means he can go to him, which means Marquez Valdez-Scantling can become just the sort of designated big hitter that occasionally is going to break one. Um, I think they're so much better when Lazard is on the field because of that extra layer of comfort that Rodgers has in him. I like to think that you and I bounce back and forth between spreadsheets and the on-the-field on stuff in the film, right? Going into two weeks ago against Buffalo, Russell Wilson had a 95 passing grade uh -huh. was there anything on film that suggested he's going to have bad games other than if you just from from a film standpoint everything was outstanding he was looking great other than a few throws here and there from a spreadsheet standpoint you would say a 95 grades is just tough to maintain right it's just really tough he's never done it before in his career regression is inevitable and now he's regressed and he's a high 80s quarterback and he's probably going to go back the other way and he's going to end the season around 90 i mean that's just probably what's going to happen with russell wilson right it, could we just look at Rodgers and say, there's nothing on the field. Like, his accuracy has been good. Decision-making's fine. I threw a pick last week against the Jags, but, you know, he hasn't been an issue. He's just going to regress a little bit because 93 is tough to maintain. He's probably going to land around 91 or whatever it is. I think, so, with Russell Wilson, I think there was... God, why am I... This season, I've been all about the blueprints. Um, I hate that as a concept, but I fundamentally to coming back to it. Stop fundamentally, it. there are they blueprints. Against Arizona, I think there were signs that you could cause Russell Wilson some problems that no one else had discovered before the season, or before before in that season, in this season. With Rodgers, there, there is evidence in that Tampa Bay game that you can cause him problems with the right blitzes. Um, actually, I, I, passer rating is not a great statistic, right? Or at least it's not great at what it's supposed to measure, which is the quarterback's performance. It's actually pretty good at identifying a sort of overall passing efficiency for a team, right? Look at Rodgers' passer ratings this season. Everything, every single game is above 107.6, except the Bucks game, which is 35. So it's a drop of like 75 passer rating points in that one game alone because they caused him no end of problems. I look, it's not that look, there was a lot of things that came together. Great quarterbacks that grade above 90 don't turn into a 45 graded quarterback off one thing, right? They turn into a 45 graded quarterback when a lot of things go wrong. See Tom Brady in the New Orleans game, right? One thing didn't cause that, a lot of things did, right? So the Bucks blitzed the ever living crap out of Aaron Rodgers in that game. Also, in addition to that, like Ndamukong Sue was messing with his head as well, like he was pissing him off. Things started to go wrong. Rogers got in his own head. Like everything started to go wrong. Like the quicksand line, right? You've seen the replacements, Keanu Reeves, Shane Falco, yeah. Footsteps Falco from Ohio State. Um, you know, where he, he starts talking about quicksand, right? You just start sinking. The, the harder you struggle, the deeper you sink. 
That's what happened to Rodgers against Tampa Bay. That's what happened to Tom Brady against New Orleans. So uh, there is tape to show what to do against Rodgers. But most of the time, five things don't go wrong when that happens, right? And he's able to overcome it. So, and it's also, it's a really high aggressive, like low percentage shot to do it, right? The way to attack Rodgers on tape so far this season is to hang your back, your coverage out to dry and hope you get home with the pressure. That's a risky thing to expect the team to do. But aren't, aren't the Colts as more of a zone-heavy team that they have the ability to frustrate the other way, which is when you play when you play a brand of football similar to like the Rams, where you just don't give up a whole lot of stuff over the top. Can they frustrate? Can they take Devonte Adams away through zone concepts, and then it then it becomes Rogers relying on everybody else. And through the years, it's like well, Val. Can we get some Marquez uh, Valdez-Scanling? Can we get some hot takes here that we can throw on social media? Sometimes he doesn't run the right route. He's a little bit off. When Rodgers has to rely on those other guys and they need to be in the right spot to defeat these zone concepts, I think you could frustrate them that way as well. And I think the Colts have a shot to do that. I don't think they're going to do it enough. And I think, the, I think the Packers, as an underdog, in the dome where Rodgers can zip it around, I think I like the Packers in this one, but... I think it'll, it'll be a fun matchup. There's some pretty good games this week. I just don't know how easy it is to take away a guy as good as Devontae Adams with his own concepts, right? Like, I know. We're speaking in such generalities there, here, there is whole There are always holes in zones. And unless you're like, unless you're literally clamping down on him with like multiple players every single snap, which is doable, but that's so concerted to take away one guy, you're massively you opening up other places. You, you feed a guy if he's in man coverage, right? You look at yeah. Devontae, it's like man coverage. He has a mismatch. He's going to be like, I'm going to feed him. When it's zone, you have to trust your reads and you have to go one to two to three. And it's like, all right, we just ran, we have a concept that's supposed to get Devontae Adams open against single high and they ran too high. And so it's not him, right? So it's, you can't feed him if you have zone concepts and the Colts do a pretty good job of disguising. Right. But he's also going to be open in the, like, he's also a good receiver at knowing where the soft spot in his zone is. So as long as he's early in the progression, which he should be, and you've called the right play to attack the zone defense you're seeing. Like, as long as the basic structures of your offense on that play actually function against zone, which if you're seeing a ton of zone in the game, they should, he's still going to get a ton of targets. All right, there's one other element to this. The Colts do a pretty good job. They, they actually, if you look at their defensive coverage breakdown, it's quite wide open. They do everything. Aaron Rodgers, one of my favorite pieces of PFF data through the years has been when you disguise coverage against him, just rotate safeties he be, goes from like qb1 to about 15 from a grading standpoint are the the colts are one of those teams because they do so many different things could be a team to run a little bit more disguise and execute it and slow him down a little bit okay so keep an eye on it who do you like in this one <sighs> um which rivers game do you get yeah that's, that's what it comes down to it's right? really a big part of this um Green Bay are still missing a lot in the secondary. I'm going to side with Vegas here, the bookmakers. Um, the Colts? Yes. Really? Colts to win and cover. I'll take the other way. Packers to win and cover the one and a half. All right. That's crazy. Fine. It's a bit of a – it's a trap, isn't it? It's a trap that everybody's going to jump on Green Bay here. Yeah, probably. Hey guys, life is full of questions. Like what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? 
And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. All right, let's get through the rest of the slate here. Philadelphia Eagles at the Cleveland Browns. It's a trench matchup. This is going to be the Browns take every single week because they've got the highest pass blocking grade in the league by a mile, and they've got the number two run blocking grade in the league. They have the great Wyatt Teller at right guard, came back and had a monster game last week from a run game perspective. Browns in the trenches against the Eagles. It's the number one pass blocking grade against the number one pass rushing grade. What's, something's got to give. Yeah. Um, the Eagles still suck, which is a problem. Oh, like man. everyone keeps thinking they're going to get good. They're going to get healthy. They're going to be the team that emerges from the NFC East and put some distance between them and everyone else. I mean, it's not happening. We're like, no, they're just bad. They're not good. Um, and now they're facing a team in Cleveland who they're not bad. At the very minimum, uh, this is Hot also here, Sam. one of the most underwhelming quarterback battles. Like you've got Carson Wentz just heaving the ball to the opposition with absurd regularity. Um, like he leads the NFL by like 10 turnover worthy plays. And yet he's also like third in throwaways. It's not like he's been, you <laughs> he know, might lead in turnover worthy th throws if he doesn't even have one the rest of the year. Yeah, he could. He, he'll be he'll be top three if he doesn't have one from now until week seventeen. He'll be top three in turnover worthy plays. But everybody like assumes because he's got so many of these ridiculous turnovers that he's not like the thing. I mean, I've sort of essentially said this the last couple of weeks that he doesn't know when to like cut bait on a play and get rid of it. He does like he's actually getting rid of the ball a lot in terms of throwaways, and yet he's still leading the league by a freaking mile in turnover worthy plays like he's just playing terribly um and baker mayfield has yet to have a game graded above like 75 all season long despite the situation around him being pretty good this is ugly yeah how's that i, I just said yeah back to you after you did that to me earlier yeah. you see how i didn't care oh yeah you didn't yeah i was i was embarrassed uh-huh screwed it up yeah you think it's a you think it's a beatdown for the browns I'm going to believe... I'm Which, gonna, what? You think it's not close, this game? Uh, I think the Browns win this fairly comfortably. Man, I'm going to believe in the Eagles every single week. Right. They're going to let me down. Based off no week. evidence. Based off of, like, previous what? year's evidence right. that I still Previ have. Yeah, exactly. Come off of. Previous takes that you're not leaving yet. Just, the Eagles are bad right they now. Still have a really bad. Front. I need Brandon Graham. I need Baker to just do a little... Right. They have a pretty good defensive front. It's not as good as it was in years past. And now they're going up against the Browns, who have one of the best offensive lines in the game. Brandon Graham has only seven sacks. We have seven sacks, and we've got a few more games to go here. That's right. I need Baker to just roll into him a couple times. It's possible. Very right? possible. So, Brandon, listen. Brandon, if you're listening, listen. The, 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 the Browns run a lot of boot action, okay? Just play the quarterback on boot action. Don't play the run. So, Baker's going to roll left like at least twice per game. Mean you're going to be on the right side. Just go right for Baker. Who cares if you open up a little running lane? Last week was a big missed opportunity for you. 
Giants again. Oh, I know. And Daniel nothing. Jones holding the ball for 10 seconds and, and all and that. Andrew Thomas, like nothing. And nothing. Andrew, I know. Andrew, Andrew Thomas on the right side. That they got. You should have got another one out of that. Anyway, watch watch the trench battle here. J.C. Treader at center. Jack Conklin and Wyatt Teller on the right side were dominant last week. I like the Browns to win. I think it's close, though. If Baker comes out of this season having not had a single game graded above 75 but hasn't imploded, what the hell do they do? I don't know <laughs> because right. he's a starting caliber quarterback. Yeah, in and in, in you've got a million of those. It's it's unexciting. He would have had an above average season, a disappointing season, and then a mediocre season where they had success. That's what his career would be at the end of this. But the last two years, far more concerning than you know the after the optimism of his rookie season. So. I like Cleveland to win. I think it's close, though. Eagles, gonna, they're going to hang tough. I mean, I think they'll win. It won't be that close. Okay. New England Patriots at the Houston Texans. Houston, uh, two-point underdog at home against the Patriots. Are the Patriots on the upswing enough? And the Texans just bad enough? I mean, the mismatch here is the New England run game against Houston, who got – they were the team that got wrecked by Cleveland last week from a run game perspective. They had um, – they're both defensive tackles. I just said P.J. Hall, right? Because I almost went B.J. Hill because we always Same guy. screw them up. P.J. Hall and Brandon Dunn with like grades in the 30s from a run defense standpoint. They got wrecked up front. Everything on paper says New England. This should be one of those games where New England's just cranking out 12 to 14 play drives in the, in the run game. But I think Deshaun Watson's going to have to be a hero here to pull it out for the Texans. Which is basically there every week. Like, they go as far. I mean, they're they a one-man band at this point. They're Deshaun Watson, a group of receivers that are capable, but not great. Like, it needs Deshaun Watson to make that happen. They're a group of receivers that can take advantage of Deshaun Watson being Superman, but nothing beyond that, right? So, <laughs> their defense is lousy. Like, their best player by a mile is J.J. Watt, and J.J. Watt isn't this season what J.J. Watt usually is. He's like, having he's, his worst season in yeah, a while. He's pretty good this year, which is a massive step down from like one of the best defenders in the nfl so they are not good at all um and we like we've seen that look their their schedule is tough it's it's rough they're probably not as bad as their record shows on the other hand thank they, you on the other hand they're not much better than it like they're i know they're you know <laughs> they're getting screwed a little bit by the fact that they are playing a lot of good teams consecutively but they're bad. We've like, been saying that for 10 weeks. At some point, they should have snuck a few. But, yeah, but also, like, it doesn't matter, right? Like, they are, they are better than the wretched record they've had. But the schedule isn't changing, so it doesn't matter. Like, it's irrelevant. They, yeah, sure, they're, they're a tough out in terms of a crappy team, but they're still a crappy team. And, you know, the more interesting thing is, like, how good can this New England team be? Because we're writing this idea they just knocked off Baltimore. It was a surprise. They're sort of technically back in the race you know threatening miami they're not out of sight yet with with buffalo but they're only just like a week removed from crawling past the new york jets like the patriots aren't very good either where the jets were actively trying to like let's just throw 10 12 men on the field here for this field goal attempt yeah or joe flacco like let's pass up the easy conversion and even into triple coverage deep downfield yeah i think that's a fair question on the how good the patriots are um and the win was in like driving rain in Foxborough where like only they're capable of playing in it. 
what about do you buy into the historic well bill belichick waits till thanksgiving and that's when he turns it on i mean we use that take every year even though they have december yeah. losses every i mean it's not like there's it's not like built-in data or anything like that but um but does he know his team now it's bullshit is what you're saying yes yeah so you don't buy into it no okay good i mean even if it was true it's different this year because you're not as good right yeah it's one thing to be like you know more or less where everybody is and then have a clean december and gap yourself to the number two overall seed or whatever it's another thing to be like under 500 by a mile third in your division losing touch and then we're like all right now we can turn it on i guess yeah and get yourself back to what eight and eight nine and seven I mean, that's it's what they felt like coming into the year an eight and eight nine and seven type of team for that to happen they can get back to 500 in this one jacoby myers quietly the number three graded receiver in the nfl dominant the last couple weeks I think this game comes down to Deshaun Watson, though. Is he going to... He hasn't had one of those bad games yet. Mm. He has the lowest percentage of turnover-worthy plays in the league among quarterbacks, which is incredible because Watson's never been great at taking care of the ball, and they've been playing from behind all the time, and that's usually when you have to start taking some chances. Maybe he should be taking more chances, but absolutely incredible that he's doing that. He has not had that disastrous game yet. I think this goes one of two ways. It's either hero Deshaun Watson dragging the Texans to victory or this is when he has the bad game against Belichick, against this defense, against uh, it's still a pretty good secondary. I'm leaning Houston, though. I think they're going to pull it off, and it's Watson hero game. I could see that. I don't think that that's crazy. Um, I, I mean, you're right. If it's going to happen, this is the game where bad Deshaun Watson is going to show up. But I don't know if that's going to happen. I think a lot of that, I, I, this take heading into the year of, look, he might become a better quarterback without DeAndre Hopkins there. I think that's kind of being borne out at the moment. He is playing better than he's ever played before. Now, that changes with one bad game. Like, that's kind of been the story of his previous seasons is he's played at this incredible level for 80% of the time, and then he has three games that get graded in the 40s, and that torpedo is his grade five points. Right. That would happen, like, immediately if he has one of those games graded in the 40s or the 30s, his grade drops five points, and we're talking about the same old Deshaun Watson. So it's it's a little bit, you know, tenuous to try and make the case. But so far, I think you can see from his tape that he is playing the game in a slightly different way and, and doing it better. Um, but it's so tough when week upon week he doesn't really have the help around him. So who wins? <sighs> I, God, I, I'm taking Houston. I'm doing it. Yeah. I don't I'm feel good about it. Go doing New it. England, but I don't like that either. All right. Pittsburgh at Jacksonville. We have Ohio State playing at noon on Saturday against Indiana. Did you know about Michael Penix tearing it up for Indiana? Did I know about it? Yeah. I Did you see the play when Penix extended for the goal line? It's Penix. It's not Penix. It's Penix. I think. You think? Extended for the goal think? line. Well, because it has to be. <laughs> right? It has to be. He's the Indiana quarterback, by the way. I think it was the closest play in football history. He dives for the pylon yeah. in overtime, barely touches the pylon before it hits out of bounds. They win in overtime against Penn State. Indiana's number nine in the nation at Ohio State. This is going to be a challenge for Justin Fields' future Jacksonville Jaguar. I think his name is pronounced this way because it has to be, doesn't it? It has to be. Yeah. There are certainly names out there that you do wonder why... Well, A, you wonder how it ever became a thing in the first place. Like, where along the line of, like, family nomenclature did that become a thing? Why, why didn't the former Chiefs fullback 
by the last name of Cox go by Michael. Right. And like sometimes you're just playing the game too much the other way. And the second thing is, like, surely you change it. All right, you know, you wake up one day and that's I, why he changed, you, he changed you, got the stuck with, you got stuck with this. It's Penix. No, no, but like change the name completely. Austin, can we you get know? pronunciation police over here? Is it Penix? Go down to like Deed Paul or wherever the equivalent is over here and just become Baker. You can just, you could do it over the loudspeaker too. You know? We love Michael we love Baker or Michael Robertson. You're you know, change whatever. your last name? Just go, yeah, go pick one. No, it's Penix. Anyway, it's going to be a great game, uh, Jags fans. And. Your game against Pittsburgh, probably not so much. Ten-point favorites, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I called an upset last week. It didn't work. No. Not calling it this week. Okay. I mean, I felt like all of the Jags upset juice was used last week for the first three quarters against the Packers, and then they ran out. So Steelers fans are really interested in why we hate them. Okay. Why do you hate them? I don't. We you don't. clearly do. Do you we think they're the best team in the NFL? No. Why do you hate the Steelers? Um, because... They have not played like the best team in the NFL. The They're best team at in, 9 and 0, Steve. The best team in the NFL is not determined by wins and losses. It's determined by how you play the game and how you will play the game going forward. And I right. trust a team like the Kansas City Chiefs to play better football going forward than I do than I trust the Pittsburgh Steelers. The game's not played played on spreadsheets, nerd. Mm. All I know is the record says 9 and 0. They're undefeated. But they you're Best team in the NFL? God, no. The Sam Sam's power rankings? They're not, no. Uh, now, look, I, I predicted a few weeks ago they're going to be 10-0. and 0. I mean, I said they could be. 10-0 and 0 <laughs> going into this Ravens game Thursday night on Thanksgiving next week. They should be after they get by the Jaguars. Yes. I mean, they're two weeks removed from barely beating Garrett Gilbert and the Cowboys. Let's be serious here. That matters. Well, also, they... In like, team evaluation. Everybody's like, ah, we just, you know, Ben Roethlisberger with his four-touchdown perfect game against Cincinnati. It's like, <laughs> it was the Cincinnati Bengals with one healthy quarterback. Of course you beat the crap out of them. Now, okay, Steve said they'd win outright. That was stupid. But, like, if your offense couldn't put up points against that defense, what the hell are you doing? Baker Mayfield threw seven touchdowns in two games against the Cincinnati Bengals. We've just been talking about how Baker's bad, right? Right now, yeah. he's not good. And he scored seven touchdowns in two games against the Bengals. I, I will say, of on course, the, you put up points. The Big Ben, like, MVP discussion, I think is absurd because you can't just look at the team record and, and give it to him. And with Big Ben, he's played, he's played well. He's been fine. He's played more of a game manager role, which is okay. I would say if you're a Steelers fan and you want to look on the positive end, the fact that Big Ben has played, I say this every week, right? He's played a game manager type of role. However, I think he's more than capable of getting the ball down the field and going, like if, if they have to win a shootout against the Chiefs, I wouldn't be surprised if Big Ben performed well in that environment. So I've He just hasn't had to to this point. And if you don't have to, it means everything around you is really good, which means you're not the most valuable player in the NFL. I pointed people to this page before, but on PFF Greenline, there's a power ratings tab, which is essentially how many points is that team better than the next team on a neutral field, right? But if you scroll to the right, there's a quarterback column, which effectively tells you how many points the line moves if the starting quarterback is not in the game, right? If he gets injured, if he's not going to play, he somehow he's out, how much does the line move if that guy disappears, right? Mahomes the most valuable quarterback, the best quarterback in the NFL. The line moves nine and a half points wow. if Mahomes isn't there, right? That's the most in the NFL. Russell Wilson, eight and a half. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, eight. Ben Roethlisberger, four and a half. 
So that's that, that has nothing to do with their backup, or it's just them. I believe that's just them in a vacuum. Okay. My point is though, that's middle of the pack, right? That's the same as Jared Goff, as Philip Rivers, as Cam Newton. It's behind Josh Allen, Ryan Tannehill. It's behind Kirk Cousins. The well, point is, Roethlisberger. The numbers are great, right? But you have to look at how they're being compiled, and he's. He's at the helm of this great offense with Fifth great receivers in the league. with a ton of yeah. yards after the catch. Now, you can make a fair point that he's situationally better than his overall mean, than his overall average, right? His third down numbers are actually pretty good. Like he's, he's graded in the top five, I want to say, on third down. I haven't checked recently. But third down, he's actually been impressive. And that is important, right? Clutch, the right time, it's also noisy as hell right those things fluctuate yep. but let's assume it's all him right this is a hall of famer we're talking about with multiple multiple super bowls um he does this is a guy who's been there and done that therefore let's give him the credit for the third down stuff even with that he still isn't where mahomes russell wilson are like these are the best quarterbacks in the nfl this season and he isn't now he's still valuable and he takes them from being like a 500 team with duck and that, Rudolph that's the point I wanted to make he takes them from 500 to somewhere between undefeated at 16 and 0 and let's say the worst they do is 13 wins right so somewhere between 13 and 16 wins versus eight is the difference between Duck and Ben Roethlisberger but the difference between Roethlisberger and Patrick Mahomes may well be the difference between Pittsburgh winning and, and Kansas City winning yeah and, and if Pittsburgh does somehow pull off 16 and 0 I think that'll be a challenge. They have a shot at it. Big Ben, I still wouldn't put as MVP because, I mean, you you can't even compare it to, say, like the Patriots 16-0 and when Brady had a legendary season, one of the best seasons of all time. Big Ben could go on a run here, and it's still not going to be one of the best seasons of all time or still not probably the best season this Bra year. Brady's defense wasn't setting a record pressure rate that year. Right, the which Steelers is defensively. The point I want to make, those Steelers fans have brought up, well, look how much better they are than with Duck and Mason Rudolph. You don't judge big ben's value based off who his backup is right because like drew Brees is awesome he's not less awesome just because they had teddy bridgewater who's a good backup the best backup in the league last year and they went five and zero without him yeah right you but don't think drew Brees. you don't think <clears throat> less of Brees because of that i don't think now if his backup was duck last year the saints probably go one in four during that time and that doesn't change Brees's value it changes the value of who the backup is well i think if anything the fact that they went the fact that their record was as good as it was last year with that quarterback situation is the point, right? It's That shows you how good this uh, this team is, yes. regardless of the quarterback. That would be the way to view it. Right. I this is a team that's capable that of getting to 500 with the worst quarterback situation in the NFL. Therefore, that should temper how good you think Roethlisberger is if they're currently undefeated, as they are. We love you passionate Steelers fans. You're going to win by a lot. Against so anyway, Steelers. yeah, they're going to win. They're going to beat Jacksonville, and they're probably going to cover 10, right? Uh, Jags might hang tough, but yeah, the, the upset juice. They left it in Green Bay. The upset so, juice. Pittsburgh. Uh, all right, fascinating one. Atlanta Falcons at the New Orleans Saints. Tamus. How much Tamus? How much Tay and how much Muss? Well, he, oh, God. Here's the thing. You are using Tamus as a combination of Jameis and Taysom Hill. Yeah. I will use the term Tamus to describe the performance of Jameis Winston when he came in for Drew Brees. Jameis, Flamus Winston was tamed 
and became Ooh. just a crappier version of Drew Brees. His average depth of target was pitiful. It was six yards downfield. Which if you, and if you, I mean, that's the Saints offense. That's in, what they're used to. But if to. you include nullified plays, it was like four. Um, his like thirty percent of his passes were beyond the sticks. It was it was Drew Brees again, right? So this idea that Drew Brees with an elongated motion right. that's not getting the ball. But this idea for the yak, this idea that Jameis Winston is going to come in and bring this aggressive deep downfield, you know, threat that this offense has been missing and become, you know, suddenly set the offense going to catch fire and look amazing. At least through that game, that did not happen. And in fact, what happened was the Saints have shown a way to neuter Jameis Winston in a way the Bucs never did. Listen, can we add some context to this, please? no. They're playing Nick Mullins and the San Francisco 49ers. They had a lead. All right. All they needed to do was sit on the lead last week, right? That's a lot different. Than so you going... think that in this game, yes. we get old school Flamish Winston with 11 I, yards per attempt. I think you have to give Sean Payton some level of credit, right? It is fascinating because last year when Breeze went down, Teddy Bridgewater replaced him. Played and they the same. are similar, st- similar styled quarterbacks. Stylistically. Short, style it, right? Short game. Get rid, of, get rid of the ball, yak heavy, safe, don't turn it over, all that stuff, right? Jameis is quite literally the opposite. Yes. Right? So if Sean Payton is smart, and I think he is, he's going to look at the skill set that he has and say, guess what? I can actually call, like, you, you like to talk about the plays in the playbook. They've been using this much of the playbook, right? It's an audio to, medium, Steve. The up to 15 yards playbook. They're going to open up. A whole they're going to dust it off a whole second half of the playbook where Jameis can start stretching the field and yeah they don't have speedsters Devonte Harris they'll they'll take a few shot plays with him they've got you know Michael Thomas Emmanuel Sanders Jared Cook and this Alvin like, Kamara we need to lose this narrative that they don't have like they have speed Harris is fast Traquan Smith is fast Emmanuel Sanders is not slow they have play- Michael Thomas isn't slow his numbers okay so they have downfield passes. playmakers they're going to use them Jameis is going to chuck it down the field they might put up forty. <laughs> against the Falcons. Now, he also might turn it over a few times. That's mm. fine. What but if, I think he's going to play to that skill set. What Payton. if Sean Payton instead looks at Jameis Winston and says, you know what, this guy is a pretty good quarterback who just makes too many freaking mistakes. What we need to do is to take those mistakes out of his game, and the way to do that is to give him small, underneath, simple passes, throw it to Alvin Kamara, let him make some magic happen after the catch, just the way we've been doing it with Drew Brees and Teddy Bridgewater over the last couple of years he could do that i think it's i think again i think he's smarter than stacking up those three quarterbacks and saying drew Brees, teddy bridgewater Jameis winston and thinking oh yeah spider-man meme they're all the same guy let's treat them the same i think he knows to treat them differently now again i wouldn't be surprised if he gets conservative and says let's just we've put up points with Drew Brees' noodle arm and Kamara after the catch in the short passing game. We've put up points. We've had success. I could see him maybe thinking that. But if he does that, right, if it's conservative first and second down, then they're going full Tay-mus. Then every third down in less than four, four or less, is all, is all Taysom Hill. And I think, it, I think we're talking like legit two quarterback system here. No, see, that's the thing. Again, right, last year, Everyone was like, oh, this is the chance to unleash Taysom Hill now that they're stuck with Teddy Bridgewater. I know, they, they used never, him less they never when it. Teddy was the quarterback than they did when Dre- Breeze was gotta, the quarterback. you got to protect the franchise. You can't just throw him out there all the and, time. And that was, before, that was before Taysom Hill had a $16 million contract. Like, when are they going to use this guy? Well, here, here's, here's a question. 
did they sign Jameis Winston just because he was a bargain, good backup quarterback, or because they legitimately see something in him for next year when Drew Brees is gone? Do they, is this? Do they have to actually see what they have in him and see if he's the guy going forward? Because what are the Saints going to do with quarterback going forward? Jameis is a free agent at the end of the year. Do they actually build around Taysom Hill? Or is it a Sam Darnold reclamation project or whatever it might be? And I think it's got to be it's, – it's, it's a test run for Jameis as well. There's not a goddamn hope in hell that Taysom Hill is the starting quarterback of the New Orleans Saints in 2021. Just, just isn't. Not going to happen. I don't care if – Really? If, if Jameis comes out here and plays like the worst football in the world – Well, they're the not next, tied to him. Jameis, for the next three so. weeks. Jameis is gone. They'll find somebody else. And Taysom Hill is going to stay Taysom Hill. The Falcons have been sneaky decent the last few weeks. The uh, the defense is still not great. Um, another reason why I think you you let Jameis kind of air it out a little bit in this one. Um, but Matt Ryan's playing some, again, sneaky good football, playing much better in recent weeks. Atlanta plays five outdoor games the entire season, so they're well protected. I think it's going to be a decent matchup. I still like New Orleans. I, I, lo I like the old Ewing factor. You know, when you lose your best player, everybody else steps up. Mm. The Saints were already doing that. The Saints' defense uh, two weeks ago against the Bucs, last week against the 49ers after the first two drives, they stepped up. And I think I think the Saints' defense, they make a little second-half statement here with, with no Drew Brees. We need to start naming our theories. The Ewing theory is a good one. Ewing theory is good. It works really? because it's yeah. named. We need right. to actually start naming our We have theories. a ginger theory. Yeah. But we need, like, so we named one years ago. This might even predate you. Remember Dominic Hickson? New York Giants receiver. Yeah. So it was called Dominic Hickson syndrome, right? Where he couldn't catch a ball coming in over his shoulder. Oh, yeah. Always had to turn around and grab oh, it good, coming yeah. out of the sky. So that was Dominic. We had Christian Ponder you have syndrome. Christian, you, have, you create syndromes rather than theories. That's true. That's the thing. You have Christian Ponder syndrome where you think you have college you you try you think your college level athleticism is good enough at the NFL level. Yeah, and, and you never learn that it isn't. So right. you escape pockets and you just keep running into open field that you think is like, Haha, I'm going to keep running and pick up eight here, forgetting that there's 80 pounders faster right. than you. Then you get run down by a 300 pound defensive lineman that actually outruns you in the 40. Well, yeah, we need more. We need more naming. Yeah, I named big time throws and turnover worthy plays. You need to name less things. Famous. I'm famous for that. Not as famous as Jameis though. He's going to pull out the win. He is Saints. Uh, Saints are by Saints by five here. I mean, he should right. Like the Saints are a good team. They don't become a bad team just because Drew Brees. Like Drew Brees hasn't been playing that well. Don't forget, this was the exploding whale game last year. Yeah, Atlanta at New Orleans. That's a theory. Exploding at whale. New, exploding whale theory. Atlanta at New Orleans. They Drew Brees took six sacks and they scored nine points. That just that doesn't happen. Shouldn't happen. <laughs> So weird stuff happens in could division games. Happen with Jameis. Watch out! Or oh, it could happen this week. Saints win. Uh, I agree, but I wouldn't be surprised if Atlanta pulls this Stop one. Stop it! This is huge, man. New Orleans is seven and two. They have a half game lead over the box, but they really have a bigger lead because they beat them twice. But if Drew Brees is going to make a Super Bowl run, it's in Jameis's hands now God. to kind of hold on to that number one. Who would you rather have your destiny in the hands of than Jameis Winston? What if he tears it up and he's the guy down the stretch? Like, sorry, Drew. There's no way. Literally no way they would bench Drew Brees. Not going to happen. Mm. Let's see what Jameis does. All right. Rapid fire now because it's Cincinnati Bengals at the Washington football team. Cincinnati's going to win. They're going to pull the upset. They're one and a half point underdogs. My Bengals take will be good a week later. You've been wrong about the Bengals a lot now. Yeah. I'm just letting my heart go. 
They uh, turns team. out not only did they not win outright against the Pittsburgh, they were in fact blowoutable as well. They got blown twice. They're blowoutable. Out, out, out. Times I said they weren't. Yeah, out a lot. I've been I've been blinded by hometown blinders here in the uh, Cincinnati area. The Bengals need to stop throwing the ball at AJ Green. Um, yeah. Joe Burrow's passer rating when he targets AJ Green is like fifty five. It's over a hundred when he targets people that are not AJ Green at wide receiver. Like AJ Green is doing him harm more than he's helping at the moment, which was actually the opposite of what we thought would happen. You know, you keep him around for one more year, you smooth the transition to Joe Burrow, you help the rookie out a bit. Turns out, like, throwing the ball in Green's direction is harmful at the moment. Like, forget it. Take those targets, throw them at T. Higgins instead. Somebody that's more useful than that, anybody, Mike Thomas, the other one, is providing more use to this offense right now than A.J. Green is. Do you think A.J.'s banged up or lost it? I think he's lost it. I mean, he's, he's come back from injury, and he isn't... He feels like a guy that's struggling to learn what his body is capable of anymore, which, and the answer to that is not much, right? And he just hasn't caught up yet to that yeah and i don't even know if that is something you catch up to or if by the time you've caught up to it the league is finished with you and you're out <sighs> I, he's a free agent right now aj green i'm curious if teams look at him and said he is done versus reclamation project can he i mean i don't think the guy that he used to be is coming back at which yeah. point the question is can his mind catch up to what he is now and larry that become a useful he's got to become larry fitzgerald uber, yeah. uber possession and the guy. thing is larry was able to sort of do that in real time it's like the peyton manning thing right can you rewire your brain in real time alongside your physical decline and if you can there's like this second career for you at the end if you can't you're basically just done and out of a, the league a better proxy might be though the Marcus Colston big slot guy. Yeah. Because Fitz did a little bit of that. He did that sure. in Arians offense when he was the big slot. Maybe A.J. Green becomes a big slot in, you know, the latter part of his career here. This might be uh, Alex Smith be looking really good as well because, again, Bengals. Against the Bengals. You know. I'm still going to take our hometown Bengals to win um, and cover that one-and-a-half point spread. I am going to take Alex Smith. There you go. I'm the comeback player of the year. The football team. The Miami Dolphins at the Denver Broncos. Tua against Locke. Locke coming off a disastrous outing, throwing the ball to the opposing team. Denver always plays tough. Weird stuff happens in Miami, and weird stuff happens in Denver. <laughs> and here they are, playing yeah. against each other. Uh, can the Miami Dolphins keep it going? That secondary against the Denver receivers will be a fun little matchup. It will. Um, but I suspect it might look a lot like what happened last week, which is Jerry Judy just cantering wide open at all times and Drew Locke burying the ball into the dirt at his feet. Um, this Miami defense, period, is really impressive. And not just personnel-wise, but scheme-wise, it's doing smart things. It looks like an old-school New England Patriots defense. And we saw what it did to Justin Herbert, who's been carving up these looks all season long. It made him look like a rookie for the first time. Um, this is, again, this is what... New England used to do for years, right? Young rookie quarterback goes to face a Bill Belichick defense. Good night. Forget it. It's not happening. This is what Miami under Brian Flores is starting to look like. And you're facing Drew Locke, who isn't a rookie, but is playing like one. So night, night. Forget it. It's, it's interesting looking at their defensive coverage concepts. A lot of cover one and a lot of cover three. You know, those cousins of each other at single high you're going to morph back and forth between the two the dolphins are running both at an extremely high level there's really not a lot of teams running half 
cover one man like teams had been doing in the past lions are leading the league at 42 percent. so the dolphins are playing to their personnel and making a ton of plays on the back end i like the dolphins is there a scenario in which you if you're denver sit down drew lock at any point this season so he's i think he's banged up this week anyway is yeah. that right i mean voluntarily no i i don't i don't see the benefit i think you just get the benefit is actually bringing on the young players you have elsewhere in the team so the jerry judy's the kj hamlers of the world like they're you think they're Brett ripon say does a better job of distributing to them yeah their development right now is being harmed by Drew Locke. That's not really. It is. Your job is to just your job is to run routes and get open. And like you said, if, Ju if Judy's doing that every single week, whether somebody throws the ball to him or not, I don't think his development's getting hindered by having a few more targets. You need to also, you know, make some plays somewhere down the line. You, Feel you, good? you heard Stephen Smith, Steve Smith, tell yeah. you all about how if you're just out there running, doing nothing, like the first ball that comes your way, you become like a gibbering mess. Million. Anyway, Miami win. Denver don't. Next. Where's my spreadsheet? What is next? It doesn't matter. The game's not played on spreadsheet, Steve. I'm rattled. Next is New York the podcast Jets is played on spreadsheet. Against the Los Angeles Chargers. All right, let's look up Clemson. <laughs> Chargers are favored by eight and a half against the Jets. Do you have that uh, Chargers stat off the top of your head? What was the stat? Losing by more than a, a score. Lose. Oh, they, the teams that have not lost three by more teams than that a score. haven't lost by more than a score. Uh, one of them is the Steelers. The Chiefs. And one of them is the Chiefs. The Steelers. The one of them is the Chargers. And the Chargers, who are 2-7. and seven. <laughs> That is maybe the best stat I've ever seen. Uh, Clemson at Florida State this Saturday at noon. Trevor Lawrence coming back from COVID. Coming back. Yeah. yeah. See how rusty he is. Anyway. Who is, so Dan Orlovsky is a big Sam Darnold fan. Uh, Jordan Palmer on their podcast, on the Two for One podcast, featuring Austin Gale and Michael, young Michael Renner apparently said that Sam Darnold is one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. Jordan Palmer said that. Yes. What is it with Sam Darnold and leading these crazy have, lunatic you know quarterback whispering people in the wrong direction? Jordan Palmer coaches Sam Darnold. And you think that that's, that's swaying his interpretation of how Sam Darnold is playing? I'm not saying that Jordan Palmer would ever be biased toward the guys that he Sounds coaches. Sounds a lot like that's what you're saying. No, he absolutely would. Oh, okay. Everything he says is biased. He thought Kyle Allen was the next big thing. <laughs> True story. Though. Jordan Palmer has liked Sam Darnold since Elite 11. I was in the room, Sam. Okay. Back at Elite 11. What the hell is Elite 11 for the people that don't Elite know? Elite 11. It's all the best high school quarterbacks across the country. And they there's 18 of them. They show up and they, have contests. they have contests throughout the year. And you try to see who's going to win Elite 11. How come this country can't name things with the right number that is in the thing oh no so you have like 18 big 12 battling big 10 listen elite 18 battling to become one of the elite 11 so they bring 18 to the finals okay. so like elimination and then they it. rank the top 11 okay all right so all right, for that's instance stupid than, than and we were 10. out there grading and it, it was the year that kyler murray was out there josh rosen sam darnold um now i'm not shane bouchelle that year but anyway there's a bunch of guys all right, right? they were all in the same class and he loved Sam Darnold. Darnold had never played seven on seven, so he's just getting his feel for like how to even just run seven on seven and all. He just loved Sam. And then after, and then that draft, after the, that draft class, Jordan Palmer trained Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, and Kyle. Kyle Allen. And if you listened to a Jordan Palmer interview, go check out the two for one drafts. I 
I will very boldly say he is far more positive than negative about the guys that he has coached. Hmm. And all these guys do. George Whitfield did it the year that he was coaching Johnny Manziel and he wasn't coaching Teddy Bridgewater. Tell us about Johnny. Oh, he's a playmaker, baller, just gets stuff done. Teddy Bridgewater, what's he? I just kind of distributes a little bit. Hmm. Of course they're biased. <laughs> it's the guys that they coach. All right. So, okay. So Jordan Palmer makes sense. It's Dan Orlovsky that's a little bit crazy. Uh, he's always been a Donald believer and he's blamed everything else to be around fair, him. it's a crappy situation he's not wrong on the other hand he looked worse than joe flacco running the same offense for like a game flacco's been good for a game other than really that he's good been, he just looked better he's been a train wreck too though i mean i'm not saying i would say not, with darnold flacco's I, not good but he's i thought better than darnold i missed on darnold too i thought he did i was blinded by some awesome things that he did I and at USC that all came as a redshirt freshman. Don't bail on it. Don't bail on it. Stick to this fact that Darnold in the right situation can turn it around. Like I, I keep thinking about him with the Saints. He's an intrigue. Yes, he's an intrigue. Not just the Saints. Look at look at the number of teams. Everybody that's rolling the dice on the geriatric quarterback right now. New Orleans, Indianapolis, Tampa Bay. All of these teams are in the market for a Sam Darnold when they draft. Uh, Trevor Lawrence and kick that guy out of the door he'll still only be 24 years old he's like a perfect reclamation project okay yeah so I don't want to say I completely missed on Sam Darnold I missed on what my my expectations were that he was really good short intermediate level he had really good anticipation and short area accuracy he needed to work on the deep ball and if there's one thing that you can handle working on at the NFL level it's just chucking it down the field because your results are so much driven by your situation now he's never had a good situation <laughs> right but you at least wanted to see more positives just more positive things come out of sam donald to this point anyway chargers by eight and a half for a team that has not been beaten by uh he's not even touchdown. playing this week so we're just wasting time at this point no um, i don't why'd you bring up sam donald i, I don't and remember. jordan palmer um, and why'd you make me call out jordan i've now called out steve smith and, and poor jordan well at this point i'm just trying to get you in trouble um, oh, I forgot to get you fired up about stuff on right. the show. I do think it's interesting, though, to see if Joe Flacco can have a second game. Because the thing that's different with the Jets is all these receivers are getting healthy. Like Denzel Mims is back. Jamison Crowder is back. Brashad Parent. Like, they're all on the field at the same time for the first time all season long. Let's see if they can actually get some offense going against the Chargers defense that hasn't been great. And then the other side of the ball, let's see if Greg Williams and his defense can confuse, can confuse the newly shorn Justin Herbert in the same way that um, the Miami Dolphins are able to. I was typing. I wasn't listening to you. Okay. I was saying, let's see if Greg Williams can confuse the newly shorn Justin Herbert. Oh, there's the a matchup way. to watch. I like that. Yeah, in the same way the Dolphins were able to. All right, yeah. That'll be, that'll be a fun one. I expect Herbert to bounce back, though. You do? And look pretty good against this okay. Jets D. Uh, Jets will keep it close enough, though. Eight and a half is huge for the Chargers, the team that just, yeah. you know. Jets are going to cover. Speaking of Chargers like crazy play. wide spreads, the Minnesota Vikings are seven point favorites. Just stop, Sam. I've told you all season they're pretty good. Justin they're Jefferson not. is uncoverable. 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 Okay. The Bengals, well, unblowoutable, uncoverable. Mm -hmm. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins against this Dallas defense. Yeah. Yeah. Vikings by seven. Not crazy. The Vikings defense is still not good. They've played so much better in recent weeks. Because they faced the Bears. Yeah. They're playing so much better. They're playing zip. They're making, they, crowd in the line, sugar the A-gaps, drop out. They're doing all the Zimmer stuff. Yeah. And they're capable. Zimmer's defense, he has a, he does a good job of raising their baseline. And early in the season, yeah, they were, they were bad. But he's raised their baseline. They're still bad. 
Like the cornerback still can't really cover anybody. That doesn't matter. It kind of does. They got some safeties. Harrison the Smith. The defensive line Tony can't Harris. really rush the passer yet. Anthony Harris. They're, they're, they're basically bad at all the things a defense needs to do. No, you're just They can't so rush the bitter. passer or stop the pass. You're so bitter. Where's their coverage grade now? Look at this. Yeah. I'm looking it up. 16th. 16th. 16th in coverage grade. <laughs> where were they early in the that's season? That's where you're hanging your hat on. Yes, because look at that what includes done like the good play from the safeties and the linebackers, like the corners, the guys that actually need to cover the wide receivers most of the time. And by the way, they're facing the Dallas wide receivers, who are you know really quite good. Dalton throwing the ball. Last three games in the green from a coverage standpoint. Yeah. Vikings turned the coin. That was against the Packers, the Lions, and yeah, the Bears. So you are taking the Vikings to cover a seven-point spread. I'm just saying it's not a crazy spread based off what we've seen in recent weeks with what they're able to do offensively. Isn't it? They beat the Packers by six. Yeah. On they're, the road. They're running the ball all over. They beat the Lions by 14, and they beat the Bears by six. Couldn't get Dalvin going, unfortunately. Yeah. Just driving them right into a wall of <laughs> Bears defenders. Even when Akeem Hicks went out. But against this Dallas defensive front, you pick, you pick and choose how you want to move the ball against the Cowboys. You can either blow the tackles off the ball. Yeah. Or pick them apart. Yeah, there. like Dallas aren't good either, which is helpful for your cause. Yes, that's why that's how spreads work. But my point is the you, Vikings you aren't good either. Both teams, but the Vikings also are not good. Oh my gosh! Just come off your first four week take and look at the Vikings, who are now in the playoff picture. Playoff picture. The hunt. Minnesota Vikings. They're not getting anywhere near the playoffs. They win. They don't cover though. They win, they don't cover. Yes. I, okay. Dallas keeps it within seven. I think that's probably true, and I think it's a close game all the way, and therefore the spread is wrong. Okay. But it's just not crazy based off what we saw. Dallas has given up 290 points this year. That's more than anybody in the NFC. It's not close. That's why. That's why it's seven. And they're just coming off their bye. It's more than anybody in the NFL. Good. Yeah, we got one more game, right? One more game. Detroit Lions at the Carolina Panthers. Panthers have lost five straight after being, you know, better than... We... Since I called them overachievers. <laughs> they have ceased to overachieve. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just what they were. The fact that they went, they started, what, three and three? It's a minor miracle given this roster. <laughs> they have a lot of, given the defensive roster at least. Um, again, I think the offense, Joe Brady play calling, there's a lot to be optimistic about. Uh, how's Teddy's status looking here? Got all banged up last week. This is a 3-7 and seven team against a 4-5 and five team, and it feels like it, you know what I mean, as a game? Like yeah. It feels like, a, feels like an encounter between two teams that are under 500. Yeah, and the, the difference is I think Detroit had higher expectations from myself and others. Carolina had zero expert expectations, and they both landed in pretty much the same spot. Teddy limited limited capacity he did practice a little bit on wednesday we'll see if he ends up going um obviously his ability to play versus pj walker is going to be a, a big factor here no mccaffrey pj walker of xfl fame and xfl on his way to being the xfl mvp before the league shut down for covid and for some reason people think he's good you are so biased it's unbelievable how am i biased he's not good because it a couple weeks ago, I will bet you any volume of money right now that PJ because Walker a couple comes weeks ago you're on here, grade. put some respect 
on Garrett Gilbert, AAF. His actually was pretty good. He wasn't even, PJ Walker wasn't AAF even grading MVP. well. He wasn't even grading well in the XFL. AAF MVP Garrett Gilbert put some respect on his name, and then the XFL MVP you yeah. just you disrespect because one of them because actually you're still graded and a... played well in that league. The other one didn't. Was just making a couple of spectacular plays, so people thought he was amazing. Also, the first guy played well in college, not the pros. The second guy didn't even play well in college. At no point in his career has he played well. Pronouns, pal. You got to use. You got to use the proper. You know. No Mr. P.J. Walker, at no point in his football-playing life, has played well. Mr. Garrett Gilbert, in almost all play of his NFL or of his uh, football-playing career, has played well, just not at the highest level in the NFL starting. Finally got you a little fired up. That's Therefore, great. there is a marked difference between the two players, even though you can point to them and say, all right, if we limit it to just the fact that they were the presumptive MVP of their respective defunct leagues, they are the same human. Outside of that, they're dramatically different, which is why my outlook for them is dramatically different. So if the, the Carolina is favored by one and a half yeah. as of right now, what happens if PJ plays? They're not favored and not winning. Okay. Detroit has Marvin Jones, TJ Hawkinson, Kenny Galladay, and Matthew Stafford, who did hit his thumb while throwing a pass last week, a little banged up, and Danny Amendola. So all the playmakers are all questionable. Stafford's questionable. Everything to hang your hat on for Detroit is questionable. We'll see what happens with these guys here. Detroit's been a little disappointing, though. The reason why I like them is all those playmakers I just listed, plus Stafford, plus I thought they added enough volume in the secondary, including the benched rookie Jeffrey Okuda. I thought that they had enough volume there to at least get by, and I think everything's gone sour. It's all been bad <laughs> for the Lions. Yeah, I mean, the, they're the, they may be the team hurt most by this weird pivot of 2020 NFL to like, nobody has any defense. Like nobody can cover, nobody can stop the pass. Offenses are everything. They're setting records and yards, points, everything. Offense is everything. The Lions were supposed to be markedly better because they improved to stop the pass, none of which matters. Yeah. And they had a step back of their own passing attack. So you have to at least try, worse. though. You try with volume, and yeah, you have to you have to lean on who you're playing. You're de you know dependent on who you're playing, but you still have to at least make life more difficult for opposing offenses. The Lions are still, as I said earlier, running more man than anybody else and not covering well. They're trying to adjust; it just hasn't gone well. I like the Lions though because they're still better than the Panthers, particularly if all those if guys PJ is play. playing. Yeah, I mean, if 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 at least a few of those playmakers play for the Lions and Stafford, I like the Lions in this one. No McCaffrey as well. Yeah, I, 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 the Lions should win, to be, to be honest. All right. Well, that'll do it. Week 11 preview. By the way, go check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast. Him and Richard Sherman still going every single week and uh, having some awesome football and non-football discussions. So go check it out. Chris Collinsworth podcast. Part of the PFF podcast network here, Sam, uh, of which we anchor. We're the anchors, right? Yes. Number one podcast. I'm sure. PFF. Mm -hmm. I think it's us. Millions and millions of listeners. We thank you all for listening every single week. Uh, so check us out. We'll be back Monday morning reviewing all the Week 11 action. You guys enjoy. This week, it's playoff time. Thanksgiving's right around the corner. A lot of excitement. So enjoy your weekend. See you Monday morning.